The reading is taken from Romans chapter 9, verse 14 to 29. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you? a human being, to talk back to God. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for a special purpose and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on the earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty has left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you again. Let's pray as we come to this sermon. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your great goodness and love to us. We thank you above all for Jesus, and we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit we might understand it and believe it and take it to our hearts and be changed more like it, to to be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Who is God and what is he like? That's a very important question to ask. And it's very relevant to our study of Romans 9. Sam showed us last week that the Israelites were wrong about God. They thought that just because they were Jewish, because they were descended from Abraham, they were safe in God's purposes. Sam showed us that God's people were not all those descended from Abraham, not Ishmael and his descendants, and not the children of Keturah, Only the children of Isaac were included. And this means 
Only the children of God's promise were saved. Only those who were ultimately in Christ. For us this means only those who are trusting in Jesus will be saved. But far from being a limiting thing, this opens the door for billions of Gentiles to be saved. And what we see this evening is more about God's absolute freedom to show his love to whomever he chooses. What is God like? Who is this God? Well, he's the rescuer, he's the judge, he's the potter, and he's the father. This is our God. Firstly then, he's the rescuer. Paul starts verse 14. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. Is God unjust in choosing Jacob and not Esau? Is God unjust in choosing some to be saved and some not to be saved? That's a very good question. This is what the Church Father Augustine called God's inscrutable justice. We can't scrutinise God's decisions. He's beyond us. Come back with me to Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. God's people have been most unfaithful to him. While Moses' back was turned, while Moses was on Mount Sinai, meeting with God, receiving the Old Testament law, the people made an idol in the shape of a golden calf, and they worshipped it. And God sends Moses down the mountain to deal with this. And God says that his anger will burn against the people. But Moses pleads on behalf of the people, and he pleads that God is a rescuing God. Why should your anger burn against your people? whom he brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Exodus 32.11 How can you rescue people only to destroy them, Lord? And so the Lord relents and does not bring disaster on his people. At least, he doesn't bring absolute destruction on the people. He does execute many of them and he does send a plague on the community. But fundamentally he spares the Israelite nation and Moses is able to play, plead for them anew. And in this context Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion, on whom I will have compassion. So it's essential to God the Rescuer, it's essential to God's glory, that he is free to choose on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will have compassion. In other words, 
in the light of God's glory, Moses was not going to answer God back. Moses was not going to start arguing with God about whom God will or will not save. God is the rescuer. Verse 16 of Romans 9. Salvation does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. God is a merciful, rescuing God. He makes his own mind up whom he will save and whom he will judge. So God is the rescuer. But secondly, God is the judge. Becca and I have been watching the television drama Keeping Faith about the lawyer Faith Howells and her adventures. In this series, Faith advocates for a 14-year-old boy with a brain tumour. Would the court rule that young Oshan should be sent to France for experimental treatment? The judge is played by Sean Phillips. The judge has a very lonely role. She has to decide, essentially, will Oshan live or die? Will he just be given palliative care, or will he be sent for the experimental treatment? I wouldn't want to be a judge and have to make that kind of decision. God, however, is well able to be the judge because he sees the whole picture. God is outside of time. God is able to see the beginning and the end of the story. Put simply, God knows best. Verse 17 For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. This time, God is reminding us through his word, Exodus 9.16, of when he hardened Pharaoh's heart. God acted as judge over Pharaoh. You remember the story. God commanded Pharaoh, through Moses, to let my people go. To let his people go, to let his people be released from slavery in Egypt. And God is patient. He doesn't just destroy Pharaoh with a lightning bolt. He gradually turns up the heat on Pharaoh, sending a series of plagues, each one an act of divine judgment on the Egyptians for their disobedience. And in verse 18, God hardens Pharaoh's heart against God. This is an act of divine judgment. Pharaoh hardens his own heart towards God. That's very important. God confirms this. It's an act of judgment against Pharaoh for Pharaoh's committed disobedience of God. It's a bit like Romans 1.24 
where God gives people over to their own sinful desires. He withdraws his restraining hand. He lets us choose our own depravity. And then he confirms us in that. This is the action of the divine judge of all. So we can't answer God back. We can't criticise his sovereign choice of who will be saved and who will not be saved. Because God is the rescuer. He needs no lectures from us on whom he should rescue. And God is the judge, not us. God makes the decisions about whom he saves and whom he condemns to hell. Thirdly, God is the potter. Verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? In other words, if God is going to decide whom he will save and whom he will damn, are we not unjustly condemned? Because we are totally dependent on God to cause us to believe or not. And Paul says, verse 20, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Get the point? God is the potter. We're just a lump of clay. I come from a long line of potters. My family have owned a pottery in South Wales since 1770. It's the oldest working pottery in Wales. I don't know much about pottery, however. I've never been trained in it. But I do know this. When the potter is sitting at the wheel, the lump of clay never speaks back to him. And the lump certainly has no say in what it will be used for. God is the potter, we are the clay. There's a song by Marilyn Baker, the Christian singer. It says, you are the potter, I am the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. That sums up the Christian's attitude to God. Ultimately, we don't argue back with him. He is very great. He has all the authority. We are very small. We have no say regarding what God does with us. We're just a lump of clay. But finally, 
God is the Father. He's the rescuer. He's the judge. He's the potter. And finally, he's the Father. God loves us as a father loves his precious child. Verse 22. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath, prepared for destruction? God is very slow to condemn people to hell. Verse 23. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? In other words, what if God was very slow in sending his wrath? And he was slow about this. To make the riches of his glory known to us. God was very slow in sending his wrath. So that more and more people might come to know his mercy. Not just Jews, but Gentiles like us. God is slow in sending his punishment. God does want more and more people to be saved. And now, Paul quotes from the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea has to minister God's righteous judgment, God's righteous anger against sin. And so Hosea calls his son Lo-Ruhamah in Hosea 1.6, which means not loved. And then in Hosea 1.9, another son is called Lo-Ami, which means not my people. God's people have sinned themselves to destruction to the point where God says I don't love you and you are not my people but that's not the end of the story because here in Romans 9.25 Paul quotes Hosea 2.23 where God says I will call them my people who are not my people and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. God is the Father who loves us and although he does allow us to sin and go our own way Isaiah, for example, cries out Concerning Israel, verse 27. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. 
for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. This is a quote from Isaiah 10, 22 and 23, where God sets out that he will judge rebels against him, but he will always save a remnant of Israel. God will always be a father to his people. Then Paul quotes from Isaiah 1 9 in verse 29 of Romans 9. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were totally destroyed because of their sin. God will not be like that with his children. He will always save some of them. He will not leave himself without a people to witness to his reality. He will not leave himself without children on the earth. In conclusion then, why does God save some people and not others? Why did God not totally save the Jewish nation? The answer is that God is interested in saving a vast multitude of Gentiles. So he will save those he planned to save all along, both Jews and Gentiles. Who is God and what is he like? He's the rescuer. He's the judge. He's the potter. And he's the father. Do you know him as your rescuer? Have you been saved from his judgment? Are you a lump of clay that God the potter is working on? Do you know him as your father? And will you let God be God? Will you let him be in charge of whom he saves and whom he does not save? Thank him that he doesn't just save ethnic Jews. Thank him that it was always his purpose to extend his saving grace to Gentiles like, the, like us. God is in the business of saving a vast multitude. That means that when you and I open our mouths and speak about Jesus, there will always be some whom God is planning to save. So the Christian church will always grow. God will always save some. Think about that. In your workplace, in your street, 
in your social life, there are those whom God has decided to save. So when you talk about Jesus, you will sometimes meet people who are interested. I've been sharing the gospel with the people in my street for nearly 14 years now. Some of them are completely hardened against the gospel. But there is one who came on a Christianity Explored course. There is another one who sometimes comes to church. There is another couple who have been along to church and who will talk about Jesus with me. God is in charge of all this. God is in charge of who will be saved and who will be confirmed in their hardness against him. I am glad that's God's decision and not mine. I could never make that kind of decision. I would be in a worse position than the judge in keeping faith. A far worse position. I might well make the wrong decision. I couldn't bear that kind of responsibility. But God can. And God does. God chooses whom he will save and whom he will confirm and their hardness against him. Our part is to pray, to ask him to have mercy, and our part is to share the gospel with people, knowing that always there will be some whom God has chosen to save. Let's pray together. Father, we bow in your presence and we acknowledge that you are the sovereign God. Thank you that you're sovereign, that you're king, that you're in control of all things. And thank you that you're in control of who will be saved and who will be hardened against you. Lord, we entrust this decision to you. And we pray that you will make us faithful in our part, in praying for those we know and sharing the gospel with them. Help us in this, Lord, we pray, for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.